0: fantasy, right? And so I think you have to balance that. Like, I mean, I have yet to read a scene where I'm sure there have been a few, but almost all of them, the woman always orgasms, right? Probably multiple times. Like, I mean, and so there's, an, a, there's an element of fantasy that you
1: want to pull in there. Welcome to Steam Scenes, the podcast about... <laughs> Wait, hold on. Sure, sex is, well, sexy but it's also sassy, and it's silly, and it's fun. Hi, I'm El Greco, and I write steamy romance. On my podcast, Steam Scenes, I'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive, (laughs) see what I did there? Conversations on writing all the naughty bits. Sit back, relax, and join us for some scintillating conversation on Steam Scenes. Isabel Jolie is joining us today. The author of the newly released *Chasing Frost* novel, Isabel is an up-and-coming contemporary romance novelist who just published her fifth book in her first year of writing. Okay, if you've published five books, (laughs) you're 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 a pro. You're a pro. I don't think you're up-and-coming. You're a pro worked as VP of partnership marketing for universal studio in California and JPM chase in New York ran online marketing for a now where she met her husband and has an MBA from New York university and a degree in journalism from the university of Chapel Hill in North Carolina. She's already on book three of her next series. You are prolific making it her eighth book in the last 18 months and is incredibly embarrassed. By me. <laughs> out loud. She's humbled and a little confused as to why she was asked to be on this program, but deeply honored because I kept seeing your book. And I was like, you know what? She's fascinating me. And this book is fascinating me. Let's invite her on. So Izzy, welcome to Steam Scenes.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. I've never done anything Um, like this. So I hope that I can pull it off.
1: I love that we're breaking your cherry. This is not safe for kids. (laughs) So okay, for I gotta I just I'm like kind of mind blown that you've written eight books in eighteen months. That's incredible.
0: Well, yeah. I think it's because I kind of when I started this, when I finally decided like, okay, I wanna I wanna really see how this can work if I'm gonna try to publish. I just kind of approached it as a business. And okay. um there's I don't know. You know, I'm um, J.A. Huss. She has kind of a section on her site that kind of teaches authors and okay. you know, writer wannabes. And one of her big things that she teaches is to try and like just, A, treat it like a business and B, have a schedule. And I just kind of mapped out my schedule. And um, in the mornings, I'm writing. And in the afternoons, I'm editing um, and marketing and it's just kind of in the evenings i read cuz i love reading and it's kind of i think it all ties in but um like i could tell you what i'm going to be working on a year from now because i just kind of like mapped it out and i know what i have to do each month and i know my work goal and wow. you know
1: so it's not even because I have a schedule. It's definitely a lot looser than yours. <laughs> but I have a schedule where I'm like, I write in the morning, I do marketing in the afternoon, you know, and I split it up. I go into the gym or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. But for you, it sounds like you actually down to you're writing this book on this date on this morning for these many, right? Like, it sounds like, you know, exactly what book you're going to be working on. Like, like you said, like three months from today, you can tell me what book you're going to be working on.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, it is kind of um, it is kind of like that. I mean, I have it's kind of like two months that I'm writing, and then there's a month in between before I start a new project where I'm kind of planning and outlining and doing research. Okay. And in that month, I'm also editing. Like, I'm constantly editing. That's one piece yeah. that I kind of felt like maybe I spend too much time on editing. Like from a business perspective, I would say maybe me trying to like figure out how I can lower my editing time would be mm. worthwhile. But I don't know, maybe I'll always have to edit for months on end. Do
1: know. you work with an editor too? And then so, or, or are you just solely self editing? Am I what? Are you working with an editor as well? Or are you just, oh, just doing? this? Yourself? No,
0: no, no, I do. I have an editor. And actually, okay. that kind of helps me with my schedule too, because she books pretty far out. And so I have her reserved her time reserved for my next two books. So it's kind of also serves as a deadline. Like I have to finish my edits and get it as ready as I can before I send it to her.
1: And, See, uh, I would love to do that. I'm just so afraid of not hitting the dead. Like I'm so afraid of giving myself like a deadline that I can't meet that I don't do it. So I love that you do it. How many words a day do you write?
0: Um, on average, about two thousand. Like I'm not, okay. I'm not one of those people. Like Jay Huss writes, I think ten to fifteen thousand words a day, and I have no idea how she does that. Like yeah. my brain doesn't do that. I would fizzle out.
1: Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I mean, because I do find it pretty. Like you, you do get tired after about two thousand words. I do. It, I definitely. My brain do. needs to
0: shift. Like you know, because when I'm writing, it's kind of like I'm in daydream mode, like everything around me kind of phases out and I'm in this thing, I'm in the scene and I'm working through that. And then I kind of like, I need to go and like do something else, which is why I think for me, the editing, a different piece in the afternoon and, you know, doing marketing tasks, which are, you know, when you're self-publishing, there's always something that has to be done. Like that kind of, it works with my brain the way
1: Right. And they say, you know, you, you use a different brain for editing. So that's why they say like, don't, they like, I know some writers are say, a different part of your brain, not a different brain. We don't borrow somebody's brain when we're editing. That would be great, but we don't. Um, there are some, some people like edit as they go. Um, but, but we actually do use neurologically a completely different part of our brain to edit um, and, and something completely different to write.
0: Yeah. yeah, Now, if I tried to edit, as I, it wouldn't work for me. Yeah, I need to like, I need to get through it and then go back and be like, what was I thinking? This sounds stilted. This, like, you know, I, it's like I need to finish the scene and then I can go back and later clean it
1: up or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So you have like a really varied background. I mean, MBA from New York University, and that's like a tough MBA program. Um, I know people who've gone gone through it and doing, you know, I guess, marketing for Universal, I assume marketing for Chase as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you've had like this whole kind of corporate career. Um, when did you, what made you, have you always wanted to be a writer? Was there a time where you said, ah, you know what, this corporate grind, I want to be creative. Like this, this isn't doing it for me. Yeah. I think, um, Well, for
0: me as a kid, I was one of those kids who any given day, there was a different career I was fantasizing over. I have like a lot of different interests. And at some point in high school, I had written something and I really enjoyed writing it. And it had done well. It did well enough for some reason, like I think I might have gotten an award or something Mm -hmm. that I showed it to my parents to read. And my dad was like, you know, you could write those books your mom likes to read it was no way. Flattering because to him, like that was a waste of time. Oh uh, you no! Know, in the back of my mind, it kind of cemented. Hey, this is one of the potential avenues. And um so, and I think it kind of stuck. And I went to journalism school, but I was also doubling in psychology, and I couldn't decide if I want to go psychologist, psychiatrist. I had like the world, like I. You know, was one of those people who took 21 hours a semester because, like, I just couldn't decide what I really wanted to do. And um, my dad told me, "Okay, if you're going to be a writer, you need to go into publishing because you're not going to make money writing, but you want to own a publishing company." Like that was, was kind of my dad's business mentality, and that was kind of where he was coaching me. Do we have the same dad? <laughs> yeah. So. So, I took an internship at the um, Oxford University Press, which is somewhere near Cary. Um, and
1: I. Super up... academic, too. We might have...
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I also was doing an internship at like an advertising place. And so I was kind of like trying to figure out what I want to do. So, I went up one weekend or one, I guess a few days, um, for an interview in New York because. Oxford University Press. My boss, my internship boss, had kind of got me an interview in New York, and I um, met with all these people who were in publishing, and they all seemed completely miserable. Like really, life sucked out of them. They just no one looked happy at all. And then the advertising people had like energy and zeal and like you could tell from the way they interacted they liked each other and they're like let's go get drink i mean it was just like this energy and i was like you know what i think i'm gonna have what they're having and um that kind of ended for me for a while the whole idea of writing because i went down that advertising path
1: that's so funny though that you mentioned that because you would sort of almost because it's true like that's the you know anybody who's had You know, my background is similar in terms of, you know, I've had a career in publicity and public relations and work closely with marketing agencies and advertising agencies. And there was always a drinks, there was always a party, there was always this, there was always that. But the publishing houses, which you would think would be all of these creative people and all the misery. You're <laughs> absolutely right. Just a whole bunch of sad sack people. I mean, like I am God, no, no, they don't listen to this. But if they did, like I'm sorry. Um, but mostly I'm sorry that you all seem so profoundly unhappy.
0: They look so uh, unhappy. And they get paid less. I was like Yeah. I and get- I
1: wonder if there's a correlation there, I think. <laughs>
0: Like when I first moved to New York, I still had to wait tables at night just to, like, yeah, eat while, yeah. you know, do it. I mean, but, like, if I had been in publishing, it would have been, like, that many more hours I was having to, like, wait tables in order to, like...
1: You would have had to wait <laughs> wait tables for, like, the first 15 years of your career if you were in publishing. I mean, it's extraordinary how, how poorly um, the publishing industry pays. And that goes for journalism too. I mean, you know, I mean, my first job out of grad school was as a beauty, uh, beauty and <laughs> laugh real hard, everyone fashion editor. Um, and, um, and it was, it was, you know, it was the nineties, but it was very, very hard to live on that salary in New York. Uh, Yeah. My
0: dad wasn't wrong when he said like, you will starve as a writer. Like, I mean, you know, although part of me is like, well, dad, if you could have seen the advent of Amazon, it would have been really good for me to have been writing right about. (laughs) But I mean, at any rate, so, but I put, it behind me and I when I say I put it behind me I went hardcore like no more did I read fiction I only read books that would improve my mind and it was all about business 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 you and, and I are
1: you, you, not only do we have the same dad it's like you're me <laughs> that- we are the same person ladies and gentlemen I am doing this interview with myself
0: <laughs> yeah, so I mean so that was that was think, and then um I the founder of an ad agency I worked for started up a dot-com and he brought me over and you know I had always been that person who was raising my hand before I left like can I do you have anything extra for me to do before I left mm. like I was like total you know nose to the grindstone kind of person and Um, When I went to work for the dot-com, it was like by the age of 28, I had like 40 people working for me. And it was the kind of thing that would have never happened in any other industry, only in a dot-com where everything is insane. And I was just, my life was that And then the bubble Mm -hmm. burst. And when it burst, I was midway through my MBA, which my company was paying for. Holy shit. And you know how expensive NYU is. Mm -hmm. So I looked around and everybody's like, like every day someone else was like going. I mean, it was just like the end of the world. Yeah. In Manhattan, at least. And um... I remember that. I remember (laughs) that. Oh, do I remember that? (laughs) I remember looking around. I was like, all right, so where can I apply? And. That was a jet financial services. They were like banks were the only ones who were hiring. And I went in, I figured I was gonna be unemployed for a while. I had no hopes. And just I was thinking, trying to figure out what loan I could take. And I went in for this interview with this man who um I owe him so much. He too had worked full time for his MBA. And I remember I was just sitting there in the interview and I was a few minutes late because I got lost. And I was just like, oh, my God, he's gonna like kick me out. But I was, we started hitting it off. And then he's like, so wait, you have like a week to pay NYU. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, all right, well, we need to get paperwork processed. Let me introduce you to your new boss and let's get this going.
1: Wow. And
0: I was just like, holy, you know, like, I mean, it wasn't my dream job, but he offered me, he matched my salary. He like, it was the most insane experience. And then I was all about financial services, you know, finished my MBA. and, um. My, I actually, my husband is younger than me, so um, he applied to UCLA's business school a few years later, and my, that same man who I worked in his division, he um, was like, wait, he's like, you need to have a reason to fly out to LA for free, and I was like, yeah, that can work, so Universal became my client, and he moved me out of his division so I could work on for Universal. And what then Universal a wonderful for-
1: mentor. Oh, Holy gosh. shit. <laughs> yeah. So
0: I did. It was kind of like this bizarre, so much of it owing to like this one man on this one random interview that I had. And, um, and so I loved working for Universal. It was so much fun. I had like a parking spot on the back lot with my name on it and I got to go to premieres and we traveled uh, because it was global sponsorship and um, you know I got to read scripts and look for movie placement opportunities which very often actors or someone would object to so wouldn't even come to fruition oh. <laughs> <fun>.
1: <laughs> welcome to the wonderful world of working with talent yes
0: <laughs> I mean because you know these actors like they have like the right to say no I don't want to be associated with that and it might be yeah. something that's going on in the film but whatever so you kind of it was but it was so much fun and um then I had a kid and um it was like I don't know if you've ever heard of like the 10-year the nap But that kind of like, I guess you could say my nap started then because I was determined I was going to go back to work. And then I think I was just way emotional. I probably should have taken meds.
1: And Uh,
0: um, I just, I didn't go back. And um, my dad was sick and I wanted so desperately to be on the East Coast. Um, And when I was on maternity leave, my husband sold his company. And so we had options. And um, my brother lived in Charlotte. And we moved back here and I became all about the kid and the baby. And then I had another baby years later and she had some medical issues. So it was all about that. And then we finally kind of got heads out of the way, you know, life was starting to return to normal. I started working with an internet company that my husband had created when I became a writer for like the study material, doing that for him, kind of, ease back in, but I also started reading again and not reading things Mm. to expand my mind, but reading things that I loved.
1: So reading for pleasure. So were you always a romance reader or did you come to this later?
0: I think I have, I mean, I definitely, I went down the Stephen King path. I went, I had other things, but there's always been to me, romance is what I've always loved. It's just been, um, always my favorite. I mean, even if like, my husband and I recently, like last year, we we watched The West Wing because so we just needed some Jed Bartlett in our lives. And I find myself now on season seven. I'm still waiting for Josh and Donna, these two characters, to get together. Like seven seasons, and that's what I'm really waiting for. It's just <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so funny because I've talked to other romance writers. They do the same thing. Like if we're watching something or reading something that's not a romance, it's like a thriller or whatever. We're always looking for the romance angle that we never get. and it's such a bummer well
0: I will sit there and I'll be like okay these two are supposed to get together and
1: when they don't I'm like what the like and then you start rewriting it in your head and you're like well if I was doing this I would (laughs) I would get these two together and then they would break up this way but then they'd come back and like it's really kind of funny to live in my head when I'm like watching a movie that has nothing, absolutely no romantic elements whatsoever.
0: Yes. Well, I did. Um, I looked up Aaron Sorkin because I looked up to make sure that Josh and Donna did actually get together if I was going to finish watching <gasps> seventh season. And it, I found on Wikipedia or something that it said that if he had to do it over again, he would have had to, them get together in season two. So oh my God, sure that's even so funny. Aaron would redo it. <laughs>
1: I love that you like were like, I don't care about spoilers because I am the person that will flip to the back of the book to find out what happens and it takes no joy from it like it does not impact my joy of in fact it like it's better because then I don't have the anxiety.
0: Yes, I don't have the anxiety and quite honestly, like if I'm not gonna like the ending, then I don't need to waste any more time with it.
1: <laughs> oh, well that's a good point. I still plow forward. I just like I, it's it's almost like I have no I don't I, I reserve judgment I have no judgment of how it's going to end I just want to know how it's going to end That's it. Well, That's since it. romance
0: is my preferred genre, I have to admit the vast majority of the times it turns out okay. But
1: I think- right, you always know what we're
0: <laughs> you always get the happily ever. But- if I had read on West Wing that they didn't, in fact, get together, I probably would not be finishing watching something
1: I was going to say, if you had read that they, there was no coupling there, you would have stopped watching. You would have been like, yeah, I'm not putting more any more time or effort into this. All right. Amazing. Amazing. So do you remember the first romance novel you ever read?
0: I don't remember the first romance book that I read, but I remember the first one that I called and it was p.s i love you by barbara conkin i think i was really into like the sweet dream series i think is what they called it
1: okay like a
0: junior level harlequin kind of thing and um it rwa would not classify it as a romance because it did not have an hea like he died and but I bald. And I think that, you know, like you hear about people who read um, Love Story in the 70s and bald. Yes. And I kind of think this was like the teenage version of that.
1: like. Because <laughs> 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 I'm trying to remember, like, I kind of. Hold on, let me see. I'm looking up the I kind of remember this. I feel like I read that, but I don't remember what it was about at all.
0: Well, it's like he had cancer and he died. That's what I remember. And I actually, I tried to get it because my fourth book, it's kind of inspired by that. It was kind of like, what did she go on to do? Kind of book. And okay. um, it was like $80 on eBay. day Like you can't get an e-book. <laughs>
1: so yeah, I noticed that. I just thought it was like, yeah, it's like a gazillion dollars to actually get the thing. <laughs> Because I even know the cover. Like I'm looking at the cover, and it's like this sort of like soft focus '80s teenager mm-hmm. with like almost like Brooke Shields looking, and she's got this
0: yes, yes,
1: this um, I don't know, purpley pink kind of flowy mm-hmm. shirt, and yeah, like I totally know this cover. I'm sure I read this book, and I don't remember, but I don't remember it. And I kind of remember the storyline of somebody dying for cancer, and i I'm pretty sure I read it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, so I god. mean, I love that book. That's like the first one that I remember that I was just taken in by.
1: Amazing! Oh my god, you just jogged my memory. What, <laughs> but it didn't have the happily ever after. How did you feel about that?
0: Um, I mean, at the time, it didn't bother me at all, you know, like I was just so emotional, in right? The story. you know, it did bother me, and honestly, it's I would say that I don't have to have a um, happily ever after, although in my books I would always include one. Um, but, um, you know, I will say, like, I read The Nightingale. Have you read The Nightingale?
1: No, I have not.
0: All right. So there is not a happily ever after in that book. We'll just say that. And when I finished it, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I didn't really? just read 1,200 pages
1: for this to happen. <laughs> <laughs> somebody's angry okay (laughs) oh my god google is totally taking me down the 80s book rabbit hole yeah oh my god i read this book too little sister by yvonne green this is amazing
0: (laughs) and it's kind of crazy that they haven't brought those books back because i bet i don't know i say that they probably do well but they're probably things that maybe would
1: I don't know I'm sure they're probably incredibly dated like they're probably like like I feel like they would probably need a a serious update have you ever gone back and reread books from that time you
0: know I haven't but it would be interesting to do that now that I'm reading so much and you know writing and it would be interesting to see how different things were i had um a writing instructor lee michaels um she's published like over 100 books some of them are harlequin um she has mentioned that some of the books that she wrote at the beginning of her career she's going back now and updating and that definitely stylistic changes she's making And, you know, just trying to bring them up to speed with things like cell phones and the computer, you know, just little nuances. Right. But it would be interesting to go back and read because I think that's one of the things about contemporary that I love so much is that it's really kind of a sign of the times.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it's really interesting. I actually have a book. It was I guess it was my mom or my grandmother's. I don't know how it ended up in the library, um, our home library that I read when I was a kid. Um, and it was a go- kind of a gothic romance called Castle of Terror. And it takes place on like this old castle on the craggy main coast. And it's all very um, dramatic and amazing. And I reread it a few years ago because I still have the paperback. And, um, and I was like, wow, this is so different just stylistically, you know, it definitely is sort of like part of the, part of the time, you know, and it slides into kind of like a little bit of a torture, titillating torture scenario, but, but it's not the heroine that participates. It's actually kind of horrific um, and traumatizing to her because, you know, we didn't, there, nobody wrote openly about like BDSM or anything like that back then. Like that just wasn't. And there was no sex. Like there was definitely like nobody was having sex in these books. They were very clean. Um, you know, it's it just very weird and interesting to sort of read a Again, you know, um, from from that time period, I highly recommend it if you have, if you ever come across those books to like grab it and read it because it's really interesting.
0: Well, I think for some of my books, obviously I need to find a less expensive source than the $80 on eBay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
1: That's a lot (laughs) of money.
0: (laughs) Um, I wonder like Overdrive, Overdrive might have, well, I don't know, like, because if they were never electronic, they wouldn't have it.
1: Your library might have it, but I, you know, I think they purge books after a while too. So I don't even know if you can find it in the library.
0: Yeah. And the libraries by me, um, they aren't enormous. Like they wouldn't go back. I don't think to like the eighties, like I'm sure love story is still in libraries, right? Because that's kind of,
1: it's kind of iconic that one. So probably. I would, um, I guess, I don't know, I guess troll the old bookshops, right? The, the used bookstores.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: you know, who knows? I mean, sometimes you just kind of discover these things, right? <laughs> so you, okay, so you wrote a lot of books. In it, well, I'm assuming you, no, you did write a lot of books in a very short period of time. So I'm curious, like, where do you find your inspiration for these? Um, you know, When I first
0: started this one, the first one, there's like, I have always had kind of like played in the back of my mind with this idea of like someone who left Chapel Hill and then years later runs into her, you know, an ex. And I kind of like just played with that storyline so much. And um, the rest of the books that I have really kind of came from some of the characters in that first book where I was just kind of brainstorming and thinking about, all right, so what would this person, you know, what's this person's story going to be? And, you know, when it, it just kind of all evolved and there was no plan to the series at all and they're all very different and that's probably, I think, I've definitely read advice columns that say not to do that. noticed. Um, <laughs> <had> <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I've had reviewers write that they love that, that they're all so different. And I'm like, yes, because that's kind of – actually, I will say, like, if I'm reading a series and they all feel like the same thing, I won't yeah. read the series. Like, I kind of like it when they all do feel like they're, their own little book.
1: Yeah, because you have, you have this one series, I, you know, just to bring everybody up to speed, that is – fast. it just fascinated me that you – one book was like a rom-com. One is this – You know, a a thriller. One is suspense slash intrigue. Like they really, it's so like you're really playing in the different genres within the genre of romance. um, That I think is truly fascinating and really inspired. I mean, I know some writers or some readers will only read paranormal romance or they'll only read rom coms, but I, I don't know. I think the majority jump around. They just want to read a romance.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's the way I am. I kind of jump around. But I um I also kind of wanted just to explore and see what I enjoyed writing and see what kind of worked well and what didn't. And so I, I wasn't I definitely when I was coming up with the different ideas for the books, I was trying to not trap myself in to Oh I love the that box. I wanted to kind of continue, um doing something different and the characters kind of to me kind of required that too because you know I have like this one kind of young like goofy girl who's like you know she's just playing out her life having fun and she's not taking anything seriously and so you know that's like to me when her story comes up it's like she's got to you know it's got to be when she meets someone, it's going to be by accident, you know, it's not going to be like, I don't know. And so I kind of, I just had a lot of fun with that. And um, like, for example, like she actually dog sets and her, the dog ends up at the vet. And I had, you know, just fun coming up with like what happens with that it. And I'm, I think in a way that was kind of, because when I was at that period in my life, I dog sat and the dog did not end up at the vet,
1: but didn't go well. And, so, <laughs> and, and it obviously created a really great what-if scenario for you um, <laughs> to come to later, which is so cool. But I'm curious, apart from, obviously, you know, the pivoting between the genres and having to almost like, you know, almost like a different writing style to a degree, because rom-com is very different from suspense. How, because we're all about the steam on this podcast. How do you, how do you feel that it, it changed the way you wrote those steamy moments?
0: I think it did, in that the characters themselves, what they're going through, is different, and the situation is different. Um, So, in that regard, yes. And I'm always—I have a beta reader who's always like pushing me, saying, "You know, make sure everything is different between book to book." Like she's always like, "She'll be this is too similar to this. You need to change this." Kind of feedback is great to have her as a beta reader. But um, I think that for the most part, when it comes to the sex scenes, it really ends up being a little different. I mean, definitely different between the different books because the characters are different. Right. And, um, you know, for me, like, when I sit down to, like, write a sex scene, I'm just kind of, like, I zone out, you know, Um, and it's the characters to me kind of just coming through what I'm imagining, what I'm envisioning, and, you know.
1: When you f- wrote your very first one, how did that go? Um, well, the
0: very first one, in truth, um, is part of a book that a version of my first book in the series that was edited and will never see the light of day. <laughs> <laughs> I <it> like this <laughs> <laughs> sucks.
1: <laughs> I did not very well. <laughs> I mean, were you like, like, we were like, okay, I'm going to sit down. Like, like I wrote. So my very first sex scene that I wrote wasn't, I mean, you know, how do you define sex, right? That famous quote. Um, So I was, it was for, it was not a romance. It was for my urban fantasy, which was my first genre I wrote in. And and I felt like we needed a moment between them, but I wasn't sure what to do. So it was like this weird, like it was, I don't know, to me, I, readers were fine with it. My editor loved it. I still find it very awkward and terrible, Um, but whatever, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so that was sort of, it, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. And so I'm just kind of curious, like when you sat down, you were like, okay, here we go. Or is there any point where you were like, I think I want to close the door or, you know, second guessing it. I don't know. I don't know. You
0: know, I think, um, because like I said, like, I don't think it was that tough when I was doing it. It was more when I went back to it and I was like, oh my God, this is really bad. And like, oh,
1: do you remember what you didn't like about it? Um,
0: well, for that book, it was more like there were certain serious plot issues. Okay. And then I think from the sex scenes perspective, I really hadn't brought enough of the character in. It mm-hmm. was just kind of like, I think I was just too going on the um, motions yeah. And so I kind of it took me like I put back some writing classes and like I kinda of worked and tried to figure out what I needed to change and studied things that I liked. And um, you know, so you know, and then I just tried. I mean and even now I will say that, you know, I just did my first audiobook and um the producer asked me if I wanted to listen. I was like, oh my god, no, I don't want to listen to that. <laughs>
1: oh. It's hard. It is so hard. I find I struggle um, to li- listen. I actually struggle to edit because um, to self-edit because I hate my writing so much <laughs> that I like, will when I'm rereading and re-editing, like sometimes I'm like, God, you're so awful. What do you do? What, who, who are you kidding? And like, I like that. That little nasty little voice inside your head just like comes out, and it is so hard to kind of like overcome that. I mean, I'm sure the the lovely person who left me a one star review is probably agreeing with me right now. Um, But (laughs) 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 but you know, it's it is it's it's hard to like sort of like leave the critic, like leave like that nasty critic behind, and actually be an objective critic and say, oh, fix this, and oh, just change that here. You know?
0: Yeah, and you know, I think. Now that we're talking about this and thinking about the critic and the inner critic, when I first started, like especially the first several books, I was using this site called Critique Match, and what really helped me with that is I found other, you know, writers who we swap work, and I found a core kind of group of writers. And it helped me so much when they would like read some of my sex scenes and their comments would be like, oh, this is so hot. This is so great. And so just getting that kind of feedback helped me say, okay, like, I don't need to keep like editing this. Like, it's okay. You know, like I I can move forward. Like having that kind of positive feedback chapter by chapter helped.
1: And I think it also gives you the confidence that you need to keep going. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, because I think that that's you know particularly on the intimate scenes because they are so revealing with the characters, and I don't know. I pour a; those are the hardest scenes for me to write. Do you do you struggle with those too, or or you're like, nah, that's just it's just as easy as anything else that I'm working on.
0: Um, you know, I can at times struggle, but for the most part, once I get going. I'm flying through until the end. like Really? And until I'm like wrapping up and thinking about, okay, are they awkward? Are they happy? Like what's going on now? Like they finished? What's the, how are we wrapped? Like then I'm kind of slowing down again, but for me, but then I have to go back and edit and be like, realize that I used hand like 20 times
1: and, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or suddenly they have like 16 legs between the two of them. Yes.
0: <laughs> which is always I mean, super fun. Yeah. It's great. I'm saying I fly through it and get it done. And then I have to come back and be like, huh, what would I change about this? Like, where would I? Go? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm, re- I'm super curious since you have written in all of these genres, um, we, is there one that you prefer, or are you happy to just keep skipping through through them? Since I have
0: what in all my genres?
1: Since you've written in all these different genres, oh. so you have your rom-com and your thriller and all that. Is there one that you find that you prefer, or are you just happy to keep skipping through them?
0: Um, you know, I probably find myself leaning towards romantic suspense. Interesting. Um, but I don't know that you know i think it's a little bit of a maybe a tougher market maybe um so i don't know my next series that i'm working on which is the Haven Island series it's kind of more of a um take from current events kind of inspired by current events kind of series oh cool. events, but like each kind of found like a nonfiction scenario which I kind of like took and spun and thought about for each of those books and that's none of those are you know romantic suspense Um, I just kind of am playing with different tropes so I I would say that probably to me the most fun to write is romantic suspense I think romantic comedy is really hard
1: yeah actually i i would i would agree with that because um i mean it's tone is hard in writing to begin with you know i mean everybody says that like you can't you can't judge a tone in an email you can't judge a tone in a tweet you know so imagine writing a book
0: (laughs) (laughs) and you know and my um i have a really good friend who um she is as an Avid romance reader, too. And so we're constantly comparing books. And we talked about that, you know, there's some romantic comedy writers out there that she and I read and we just cringe, but they have huge followings. And I suspect that romantic comedy is one of those things that might be region specific. So, like, New York humor is one kind of humor, and maybe Midwest humor is something else. And that maybe your readers and your following, you know, you don't just get the humor always if it's not from your region, maybe.
1: Like, it's just- That's a really interesting point that I didn't think about, but you're probably right. I mean, I certainly think it varies country by country. I know, like, so like British humor is usually very dry. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I think that that's a really interesting point and definitely something to think about.
0: Oh, so I don't know. Cause I mean, I know too, for like, some people with the, um, um, it like it, when I read the reviews, some people think it's great and it's funny and this and that. And then others are like, nah, I didn't find it funny at all. And I'm
1: like, no, that's okay. <laughs> 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 so Izzy sent me a scene from her latest book in the West Side series, which is the series we have been talking about, um, Chasing Frost. And this is the FBI uh, romance. And this was just released at the end of January. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I want to dig into the scene, but could you set up uh, where we are in the book for, for listeners uh, so that, you know, a little bit about where we are in the characters, because this is their, the first moment that the characters are getting together, correct?
0: Yes, it is. And they, you know, the tension between them has been kind of rising. Um, slowly. Like he's, tried several times and been kind of brushed off by her because she's on a job. I mean, her job is she's he's the prime suspect and, um, she doesn't want to cross that line. This is her first undercover role. And she is like a great FBI agent, one of the best in the field. She's great at her job, but she's, it's her first time doing this. And so she's a little uncertain on some things and, um, it's her first time in this role of undercover and they have gone away for a wedding, which just came about because her role and her role, she was new to Manhattan, new to this company that he's working for. And, you know, and this guy is the kind who brings you along and he's introduced her to his friends. So she'll get used to New York. And, um, the friends were like, come out to this wedding. It's like in, um, Iowa. And it's like, in the backyard of um, this girl's parents. So it's one of those things where bringing a last minute guest didn't matter. And while she's on this trip, she gets essentially evidence that he's not really the prime suspect. And so that one wall that she's been with is kind of holding up, it's kind of removed. They still don't mm-hmm. know who is responsible. But she's still playing out this case. And she thinks that, you know, come Monday, she'll probably maybe never see him again because she's going to go back to the FBI world. But they've had like this romantic weekend, this wedding weekend. They've gone to this wedding and they've come back to the hotel, And it's kind of like she's at the point where she's had a little bit to drink and she's like just ready and he's totally stoked he's like oh my god like she's actually interested in me
1: (laughs) (laughs) cool okay so um and her name is sydney and what's his name um he is chase chase that's right chase and sydney okay
0: so sydney is her undercover name and that's what he knows her as oh
1: of of course that makes sense (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay and now i want to kiss her all over the elevator door closes blocking out the rest of the world i press our floor number and step forward crowding her up against the wall my body pressed to hers i want like i wanted to do all night this woman is intoxicating i have the smallest of taste dipping my tongue testing the waters before the elevator jolts the doors open We stumble out together, laughing, but by the time I'm turning the key in our door, there's no humor between us. No, we both know what's coming. There's been a current of energy between us the whole night, with every soft touch, every glance. It's on the tip of my tongue to reassure her that we can go at her speed, to tell her I don't have any expectations just because we're sharing a bedroom, to tell her I don't want to do anything that makes her uncomfortable when she closes the distance between us. Our lips smash together and she pushes my jacket off my shoulders. Our kiss is manic, hot, an explosion of all the energy that's been simmering between us. She backs me towards the bed, ripping at my shirt, pulling it out of my pants. It's a fucking dream. Her hands are on my belt buckle as I grip her ass, rubbing her against my wicked heart erection when she pauses to ask, do you have a condom? <laughs> I love this. I love how this moment kind of changed lightning fast for them yeah. in in this sort of like, you know, these key couple of paragraphs, but I'm totally here for it because there is just like such a lead up of the tension and the elevator, right? And then we can sort of clearly see, there's like a mark we can clearly see when the tension gets cut and it's like, they just go for it. And so I was hoping, like, can you tell me more about like this moment? Like, you know, where did it come from? What led you to it? Um, let's see, I think it was just, you know,
0: um, I wanted to show that she was taking charge
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: that, and she, that's kind of her personality. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it was just much more about, you know, he's been interested in her. He's been a little insecure about it. And um, it was just, you know, her taking over and him being totally turned on by it, you know, and he wasn't the kind of guy who maybe would have ever thought he wanted a woman to take charge, but he's completely turned on when she does.
1: Right, right. I just really loved it because I just loved how you could see right where that tension gets sliced. Um, And I don't know that I've ever seen that or at least that I've noticed that in any books that I've read where you've got tense, tense, tense and then you just see that moment where it goes shoom and and they're just going for it, which I think is so cool. (laughs) Okay, next little bit. Sydney stands before me in a black lace silk bra and the sexiest matching black thong I've ever seen. Her stomach is flat, taut and her breasts curve round and erect. I fist them, dipping my head to suck and nip, making her moan. Her palms press hard against my chest and she shoves me back on the bed. I lift my elbows to watch as she grips my trousers and boxers and pulls them off. They get stuck on my damn dress shoes, but it's not a problem because within seconds she slipped them off and I'm naked except for black dress socks. She climbs up on the bed straddling me and she's looking at me like I'm the slice of cake she refused to eat but really wanted at the reception tonight. And I like it. I like every single thing about this the dress shoes. I loved that. I love that we're in this middle, like in the middle of this super erotic moment. And, and then it's like, oh, snap, error, error, stop, stop. (laughs) And I love it when these foibles get, I mean, this is something that I don't do well. And I need to be more conscious of like, you know, we, these, these are what makes the scenes really sing true right these moments of your pants get you know you forget you don't take your shoes off because you're in such a hurry and then your your pants get stuck or you know your bra snaps or you know you can't get it you're you're wearing a sports bra so you're trying to pull it off you can't get it off. you know like all of these moments that are absolutely ridiculous and hilarious and always happen when you're about to like get busy
0: in reality there's no way to take off a sports bra and like a smooth
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, the shoulder always gets frozen you're stuck yeah
0: I, mean, I feel like I can like break my elbow half the time you know I mean it's like so
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know we we have I mean you know TMI moment the first time man i married and i got together like you know i have had our first intimate moment like i don't know what the hell we were doing but he ended up like throwing me on the bed but like he overshot and i just skidded off the bed and onto the floor (laughs) i mean this shit happens yeah (laughs) And I'm curious when you wrote that, like, is that something you're consciously thinking about? Or is it just something that you're able to naturally do? Because I don't naturally do it. My sex scenes, they're always so perfect. And it's like, and, you know, and I have to sort of like stop and look back and be like, ain't nobody has sex like that, honey. Well, no. it's a fantasy, right? And so I
0: think you have to balance that. Like, I mean, I have yet to read a scene where I'm sure there've been a few, but almost all of them, the woman always orgasms, right? Probably multiple times. Like, I mean, there's an an element of fantasy that you want to pull in there. But um, I think I used to like try and just go for all perfect. And then a comment, someone commented, maybe one of my critique partners, I can't remember, but um, they kind of commented like, really? They pulled off the leggings like in one swoop? And, you know, and just like, you know, kind of try and make it real. And that comment kind of to me, I'm always like, you know what, let's, you know, let's add in some like some of what would really be going on. Because, you know, I mean, there are like little things. I mean, I don't think anybody their first time it's like in reality, it goes perfectly. Like, I just think that and people, I think, appreciate a little bit of Uh, the real coming in
1: there's a lot of fumbling that go, you know, particularly when your first time with somebody, right? Like you don't know each other. You don't know how the other person moves. You don't, you know, so I think that those, you know, that, that sort of, you know, stumbling is important. Yeah. And I don't do it or I don't do it enough and I need to do it more. I mean, that's, a, this is just my mental note, mental note to self, mental note to self. Because <laughs> <laughs> I do think it, it just brings, it brings so much more, I, you know, and not only reality, but it, it does ground the characters too. And it gives them some endearing, you know, because they're not perfect and neither are we. And it's nice to see that these characters that we're reading, that we think are so beautiful and so and and we're so captivated by them, that you know they take their pants off one leg at a time too. You know, it's kind of <laughs> nice to know. It's nice to hear. It's nice to read. You know, that's sort of the reminder that we get.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I think it's that's good, and I think um, you know, it's it does. I think it also allows like a little bit of the character to come out and to mix in. I mean,
1: but. So I, I know you probably don't remember like at that particular moment, but are these the things that you like kind of layer in afterwards? Like you've already sort of like dashed it off. You've written it, you've done your lightning fast writing. Um, and then you, you're going back and you're going back over it again. Are these the things where you're not going to get it in the first draft, but you're going to put it in after when you go back for the rewrite?
0: Um, sometimes. I mean, you know, yeah, um, Sometimes. Like uh there's the scene that I was just um editing for one of my upcoming books and it was just kind of it was something that just wasn't going well with me and that sex scene and I kept going back to it and I realized, you know, hey, you know, she needs to be like in this situation if he's understanding her, she needs to be on top, you know. So it's like sometimes mm-hmm. I'll like I'll think about what I want. The character evolution what the relationship evolution needs to be and i'll go back and i'll if i don't think i hit that then i'll go back and i'll revise and it'll like kind of change structurally some and i'll or sometimes i'll think you know i i flew by this too quickly i need to add more in
1: I don't know. Oh, that's actually a really good sort of point. Like the idea of, and and I've talked about this too with other writers that the the these intimate moments are actually really about the evolution of the characters and their relationship. Um, you know, and so that is one way to also differentiate the scenes.
0: And you know, to me, um, like if you take the all time, to me the all time biggest book that changed the industry for us, Fifty Shades. Like Mm -hmm. everybody snickers over and like I have a friend who's like way too much sex. Of course, I'm like, all right, all right. But if you actually look, like if I did go back to get an MFA, I would write a paper on this. I would study this and like prove it to everyone. But every single sex scene in that first book, there's big character evolution going on because he's dealing with what is essentially a mental illness and he's had years of therapy, but he is adapting, like opening himself up. And with each scene, she does a little bit more things that he's never done before. And like, you can actually go sex scene by sex scene and see how he is in a way healing. Um, I mean, she's the virgin, that's like the virgin romance trope, but he's the one who has you know, he has her first missionary experience with her. Like, I mean, it's like all of these things. And um, in thinking about that, I think that there's something to be said for that, because she wouldn't have made 65 million off of a book that was just a sex thrown together. Yeah. Like yeah. everyone was really, whether they realized it or not, I think, picking up that there was more going on in those scenes. Yeah. And the whole BDSM, that was kind of like, you know, that's just a layer that captured, you know, it was a nice layer to add on it. But you know, it's kind of like dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. It's like a nice layer, but the story underneath that was still there is what was coming out
1: with each oh, thing. I, that. I actually love that's that's actually the best explanation um that I've heard about the book. And I believe it or not, have never read it.
0: No. How have you not read that book? <laughs> yeah,
1: I have not read it. Um you know, partly because it came under a lot of criticism and I was like, ah, then I don't need to read it. There are other writers that I can read. Um, But now that you're sort of describing it to me, I am going to go back and I'm going to pick up a copy and read it because I I'm finding this really, really fascinating. And it's a conversation that I'm actually having with another writer who, who writes in the BDSM world. And so, um, you know, this looking at the BDSM moments as healing, as a way to heal trauma and stuff like that. And nobody's ever said to me, that's what's happening in 50 shades. And so now I, now I want to go take a look at it.
0: And I will say like the first one and her perspective, you pick up on it. But then the first one in his perspective, you really see it because then you see, um, I actually like his perspective better, but, but you really see how much is going on with him um, mm-hmm. and how much he is, those, those intimate scenes are helping him to resolve so many issues from what was essentially abuse, right. you know, as a very young child and then as a teen. And so it is kind of, um, I think it's kind of fascinating. And I do think that someone could step in and say that BDSM is often something that people who have actually experienced abuse kind of lean towards as a way to um, deal with some of those emotions.
1: Um, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I'm I'm actually taking a, a class um, that that is that really um it's 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 intimacy a coaching class uh, but which i'm not going to do but it just works well with the the romance writing and um there was you know in our in our module on trauma and fantasy like on fantasy there's actually very direct correlation between uh fantasy and trauma and oftentimes, you know, victims of trauma actually then turn that trauma into a fantasy, um, and it becomes part of their their sexual fantasy world. And that's actually a very healing place for it to, you know, place to go with it, um, because they're because they're finally able to control that narrative.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um. So so yeah, it's it's really pretty fascinating. When it you is kind fascinating. Of like really Your intimacy
0: it. class sounds really interesting.
1: Yeah, it's very cool. It's very cool. It's, um, it's a little strange and a little awkward. I've never done anything like this. Um, you know, uh, like, but, uh, but it's really cool. I'm definitely learning a lot. And, um, and it's making me rethink some things, which I think is, you know, I mean, that's why we're here, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, one little bit I want to, um, <clears throat> to read here that I, I really, um, I really loved. I slammed against her, then then slow and rise, using my thumb to stroke her clit, to bring her to the edge, with our gazes locked on each other. She moans and arches her back, right there. A thin layer of perspiration coats her skin, glistening in the streetlight through the window. Are you coming? And she breaks with a quiver, milking my cock, and I let it go, never breaking my gaze memorizing her face as it distorts in ecstasy her lips open whimpering i collapse onto her and kiss her enveloped in her warmth it's a slow kiss a grateful kiss i'm in awe for it being our first time and for us barely knowing each other sex with sydney is pretty fucking stellar i kind of okay so this is like really cool and i i really loved that you slid in that sort of just this, that thing about the perspiration coating her skin and how it glistens through the window. And it's right in the middle of her climax pretty much. And it could have broken the momentum, but it did not. It could have been like, there would have been like, you know, I think my immediate place would just let her come right. Let her have that moment, but to sort of like slow it down and hit on like one like you know one one element that is you know that really just sort of paints a bigger picture um, of what that looks like in the moment is really kind of cool um, and so I'm curious again was this was this something that you were cognizant of when you did it or were you just like now like it, you just kind of like wrote through it and it just kind of came out
0: um I'd have to say I probably wasn't that cognizant of it <laughs> okay okay I mean I definitely and honestly I edited this so many months ago too
1: right Um, it's hard to remember you
0: know it's kind of hard to remember exactly what I added and edited because I definitely I mean I go back in when I'm editing um I'll set aside like a week where I just focus on going back and editing my sex scenes so I'm in that mindset and you know I'm trying to like look at what I need to do and I'm double checking that I've crossed off what needs to happen what needs to be communicated um emotionally and you know that I'm like checking every little thing on it so
1: I know I kind of I'm I'm actually in awe of your system right now (laughs) Like, like I love that you have one week, like you have this one week that you set aside specifically just for editing the sex scenes, not even editing just the book. It is actually just editing those specific intimate scenes.
0: Yes. Yeah, I do. I mean, because I have, I like, I'll do the read through edit and then I go back through and I edit just because I like dual POV. It's kind of, I've just gravitated that. So okay. I'll do one edit where I'm just editing his chapters. And making sure that the voice is coming through and that, um, you know, none of the words he says are used by her. And, you know, I'm kind of like just fine tooth comb and then I'll go through just her chapters. Hmm. And um, I kind of, but my editing, like I said, my editing process takes a long time.
1: (laughs) I'm curious because I don't write dual point of view. I I, like, I don't think I'm good at the male point of view or I'm not comfortable enough with it where I feel like I could do it. And I've tried, I've tried. And one of the things that always sort of trips me up is the balance between the voices. How do you know, I mean, how do you, how do you know that you've got it right? You know, cause I know some, so many writers, like some writers just alternate the chapters. Some writers, you know, write the scene from one point of view, then the other point of view. Some, some writers, it's just kind of like, you know they don't there seems to be no pattern with with the change in point of view and I'm sort I'm wondering how you approach it um
0: well in terms of approaching male no, I don't know first off I don't know if I do it right but um the way I do it is I took you know like when you take character writing classes it's about kind of really thinking about the character almost as if you're like an actor and trying to act like that character. And, um, you know, I don't think men, I mean, yes, there are certain rules of thumb with men. Like they're not going to sit there and notice. Most men are not going to notice brands and certain things like that. I mean, like you can kind of make a checklist of like things that guys won't do, um, that women might. Um, But I don't know, for me, it's just going in and just, trying to get in their mind. And I think to some extent at certain times in my life, I have had a very male attitude too, you know, like, um, during those years when I was all about work, I was very much someone who came into a meeting. Like, I didn't want to know what you had for breakfast. Like I had a gazillion things going on. I needed to get, um, You know, I needed the meeting to end on time. I needed to move on to my next, you know, meeting. I, um, and I kind of, I think that a lot of times when I'm writing men, I try to pull um, from that um, experience where I was so much just about, you know, the next objective, not thinking so much about the other people. It isn't necessarily fair. I mean, you know, I think there are some men who are probably very much thinking about being girly. Um, But, I don't know. I think that for each character, too, it's different. You know, it's just trying to get in their heads if you're an actor, you know. I mean, an actor, um, you know, William Shakespeare, the men played the women. Um, I think that women can play men. You know, it's just a matter of getting in their head.
1: Right. And it's the same right. thing when you're writing, I think. Right. That is that is true.
0: Although I am curious, like when I see um, like Serena Bowen, she does really well male-male.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. I
0: find that to be curious. I'm like, how is she so good? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, if like you could do research, porn, etc, like I mean you can I'm impressed by that, you know you can go there like
1: so so what's what's next for you? what's coming up? Um, well,
0: I'm working on the um, the Haven Island series, which um, takes place off of really it's a fictionalized version of Baldhead Island. And um, then I'm trying to decide right now what I'm going to do for um, the next series for 2022. But um, I'm preparing right now. My next release is going to be, it's Rogue Wave. And um, it's an age gap romance.
1: Oh, wow, cool. And when is that coming out?
0: That will release April 13th.
1: Oh wow, amazing! I love that you're sort of like all planned out to 2022, like that. I'm just, like that's just incredible. For, I'm kind of mind blown, and I think that I need to start taking your approach. I'm just so afraid of like missing deadlines or whatever. Like the, I'm just like, no, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. And I think that that's I. I kind of love the way that you're doing it because you can.
0: Well, I was you know I was written sort of now in pencil. Oh. <laughs> It's in my calendar in pencil, and I will, like, if something comes up, like, I can make adjustments, but one of the um, good things about planning out month by month is that I can kind of see when I go in to plan the week what I really need to get done. Right. It helps me prioritize, and um, I am pretty steadfast on blocking off my writing time. Like, I used to let things, you know, if someone said, let's go play tennis, maybe i go do that but now I'm pretty diligent now about this is my writing time I have to do that and like I'll have more flexibility in my afternoons but I think that when you have it all planned out you kind of see where every how everything feeds in yeah at least for me it's it's helpful and then it's kind of like you know three months later you're like whoa look at all I've done (laughs)
1: So do you, I mean, I'm just kind of curious, do you, do you, you have a set amount of time, do you go by time or do you go by words? So like, you're going to sit down and you're going to write until you get your 2000 words, or you're going to sit down for two hours or however many hours and you're going to get what you're going to get. Like, how, how does that work? Um,
0: I go more by time. Um, I sit down and, I'm writing. And then like some days, like if I only get a thousand words, cause maybe I decided I needed to research something or maybe I stuck, like, it's okay. At least I got a thousand. And some days I'll get 3000. So 2000 would be like a rough goal. Okay. Um, I'm pretty gentle with myself, but um, you know, I, I do what I, I have a scene that I plan to cover each morning. And, um, but when I finish at the end of the day, before I stop, I think about where I'm going to start the next day. So when I sit okay. down, I kind of already know exactly what I need to write and what's going on.
1: Uh, okay. So it's a little a little bit of pre-planning yes, for the next day. Yeah, because when
0: I finish, right? I kind of, I know in my head, like, what needs to go. But if I don't write it down and I don't kind of, like, say, make notes, then I might not really remember. It might feel like I'm sitting down fresh, which... Right isn't ideal like you know it's better for me to come in with my coffee and be like okay what's going on let me get my head into the scene and then kind of go
1: so how many how many hours do you dedicate to writing every morning um i'd say i mean just like
0: maybe 15 hours is actually writing and then i'm probably doing it about that and editing
1: okay all right um and then of
0: course there's other things that are going on too. And I don't
1: know. I mean, and then, and then when you're done with your writing, like when do you do your outline? What was that? When do you do your outlining process? Is that, cause you said that was a whole month and is that you're, you're not writing anything. You're not editing anything. You're just working on the outline.
0: Well, on my outline process, um, I'm researching. Yes. That's like, I usually give myself a month, um, schedule that in. And, um, um, if I'm writing during that month, it's more like the bonus epilogue or it's, you know, something small that I'm just kind of, that I still have to do acknowledgements or something like that. Right. And then, but I'm, I feel like when I look at my schedule, I always have something to edit. <laughs> There's always like some piece of something that needs editing. And I once told my editor, I was like, you know, I feel like. I could pick up anything because I do, once I finish something, I like to set it aside for several weeks before I Mm -hmm. pick it back up. But I told her that I feel like I could go through this editing and pick up. I would always see something else that I need to improve. And Mm -hmm. um, she said that, yeah, that she has, because she's also a writer and she said, you know, that, she feels that way. And Lee Michaels, who's written a hundred books said that, you know, there are things that she's written. And that at the time she was really proud of and she goes back to, and she's like, Oh my God, this needs editing or this, you know, and I kind of feel like maybe that's just
1: normal. Yeah. Editing is like laundry. It's never ending. Yeah. So
0: like, to me, like once you hit publish, it's like, all right, that's behind me. I'm not going to go there anymore. And let's just focus on Ford.
1: Yeah, you got to let it go at some point. And, you know, it's never going to be perfect as much as we want to say it's perfect. And, you know, if we waited for perfect, we'd never get books out.
0: No. And, you know, sometimes I'll read some books like by traditionally published authors who are critically acclaimed. And if I come across like a typo or something that just really doesn't make sense, I highlight it just to like tell myself like even they made a mistake.
1: Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Izzy, where can people find you
0: on the internet? Um, they can find me. I have an Instagram um, account, which I'm pretty active in. Um, and I have a Twitter account, although I don't tweet that often. I follow. Um, and I do have a Facebook account but um, I post on there. But I'll be honest, I'm not very active on Facebook.
1: So it's Instagram is where you live.
0: Instagram is my, yes, my social world.
1: Izzy, it was such a pleasure to meet you. I feel like we're kindred spirits.
0: <laughs> well, that actually is a huge compliment to me. I'm like so impressed with you. You're writing and you wrote rock star romances and like, and they're cool ass women. And oh, and you have yeah. this podcast?
1: I mean, you've done, I mean, very impressed. Thank you. The, yeah, the dot-com bust in New York um, destroyed the work that I was doing with musicians, but now I'm in. <laughs> um, because back then, um, you could get tons and tons of really great online. There were all these really great online publications and um, that were covering all sorts of music and, um, different music and independent music in particular. And it was really sort of like the, at the time that like the white stripes were coming up and the strokes like New York in particular, downtown New York, Lower East side music was having this sort of Renaissance, mm-hmm. um, rock and roll Renaissance. And it was such a great time to be working with musicians and, um, and then boom. <laughs> <laughs> And 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 everything, all the money disappeared, and all the outlets disappeared, and um, and a lot of venues started closing, and and I stopped working with the musicians. So it's been kind of cool to kind of revisit that um, with these with this series and revisit that that vibe, you know, that sort of rock and roll vibe that was going on.
0: Technology um, has really, I mean, we say technology has really evolved book publishing, and it's kind of fascinating to see how book publishing has evolved, but. I don't, I have not had much to do with the music industry, but I feel like that industry has just, it's night and day, the way they make money now versus how they used to because of technology. I mean, I don't know the last time I bought a CD.
1: Or- yeah, the evolution of the music industry and in sort of like the music industry always gets it gets hit first and kind of gets hit hardest and so we can always learn um if you're in like another arts focused industry you can always learn look to the music industry to learn from them you know because you know with streaming services and and back in before the dot-com bust you know there was still a very traditional way of discoverability for new bands um, it, it was like there were no streaming platforms except for napster so if you were if you were streaming music you were stealing it um, you know there really wasn't an easy there, there weren't a lot of places to sort of buy mp3s um, you you kind of had to buy the cd and rip it yourself um, but there was still this sort of like you know you were still relying on the traditional media to give you some exposure, give your band some exposure. And there were, this was still, you know, you still had the city papers and the village voices and the LA weeklies. Like there were still um, alternative press out there that were writing and there was, there were music blogs and music focused websites that were pretty influential. I mean, this is where pitchfork came out of really, you know, and now they're, they're one of the most influential public you know web publications in the space i remember when they started coming up um but now it, now it's really completely different you, you just put yourself on youtube and you can get a you know and you can and your career can take off or you know a sample you know on spotify or something like that it really it really is um it really is kind of amazing uh, to see that evolution and pretty fascinating
0: yeah but isn't it? I mean, it seems to me that it's so much harder for the musicians to make money. I mean, like yeah,
1: oh yeah,
0: like perform oh, yeah, or like those small bands starting now. that's a rough life. If that's really me.
1: I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think that there are also more opportunities. I mean, music licensing back then when I was working with bands was actually a really big deal. um, and one of the bands that I worked with, uh their sort of claim to fame they had a they had a license uh, a song licensed on Dawson's Creek. Um, and that was, you know, they didn't make big money, but it was something, you know, and I think now, uh, I am hearing a lot more about musicians who are getting their, uh, their music licensed and that's still like a big, you know, financial funnel, um, touring, I mean, you know, that's the thing, like, you've got to like the grind, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not only touring to clubs. Um, This was something that was kind of novel back then that one of the bands that I was working with was doing. But now it seems to be something that more and more bands are doing, particularly if you're like working in that adult alternative folk genre you can do living room concerts and so you have fans that are let's say you know you can sort of like figure out your network of fans across the country and you just go living room to living room and these people sort of have like these parties in their homes where the artists perform and they crash on the couch or in a spare bedroom and the you know and they're hosted, basically, and they charge their friends to come in or I don't know exactly how it works. I don't remember how it works. And then they give that money to the band um, as sort of like the quote unquote cover charge. Um, you know, so it's it's kind of like if you can build a network of super fans, you can actually have a really great career. Huh. wow. Yeah. But it's like it's about building a network of super fans and you won't be necessarily really famous you know, um, but there are other ways. So where it's become harder in some areas, it's actually, I think, opened up other opportunities. Um, you know, you just have to kind of know where to find them, you know, kind of, not unlike publishing really.
0: Yes. Yeah. I feel like publishing, it's kind of fascinating to me to see that the change, um, you know, I kind of, part of me wishes I had taken that traditional publishing path. So I could maybe be the woman with my flapping arms going, we have to change and stop acting like a dinosaur. (laughs) 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 Well, thank you so much for having me on. Really, so much. and It's been fun.
1: It was was super fun.
0: Thank you. Hopefully, at some point, when COVID is over, there will be various I don't know, trade shows, groups, conventions, whatever. Maybe we'll cross paths and get to. Um...
1: you can actually meet in person. Imagine that.
0: <laughs> I feel like I feel like that we are like in that point where that is that ability to um, connect with others and to network is greatly hampered right now.
1: Yes, it absolutely is. So hopefully, we'll get back to the, you know, get back to being able to be in physical places together again soon.
0: Yes. Well, thank
1: you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks, And don't forget to five star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.